0: Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Statz. We have another episode of Board Game with Education, and I'm excited to be joined by Tim Eisner. He is the designer of March of Ants and currently a game on Kickstarter called Canopy. You can check that game out by going to kickstarter.com searching for canopy in our chat we talk about some real world elements that he integrates into his game designs we also talk a little bit about how he sprinkles in some educational context in his games we talk about some things that he does with march advance that i think is really cool so be sure to listen in and before we get into the episode i want to give you one quick update be sure to sign up for our newsletter boardgamewitheducation.com there you will receive a lot of great resources, a lot of great content, everything related to what we're doing at Board Game with Education. Be sure to sign up boardgamewitheducation.com. You'll find it as one of the first things you can sign up for on our page. And as a member of our email community, you can always reply to my emails in the newsletter if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, anything. Be sure to just reply to any of the emails I send out through our email community. And one last thing, this is our last episode of season eight. We wanted to sneak one more episode before we go into season nine and take our season break. The reason for that is because of the Kickstarter out right now that Tim has going on called Canopy. Again, check that out, kickstarter.com. But let's get into the conversation. Welcome to another episode of Board Game with Education. I am super excited today because we have another fantastic game designer on the show, Tim Eisner. He is the founder of Weird City Games and also a game designer. We'll have him introduce a little bit about his background and some of the games he's designed. But before we do that, the fun fact that I had found about Tim before our interview is that he used to do or and does as a hobby now macrame jewelry. So I actually had no idea what this was. So (laughs) would you mind sharing a little bit about this? And what is macrame jewelry?
1: Yeah, definitely. So macrame jewelry, uh, it's macrame is a a knot tying technique that uses uh, several different knots. Uh, And so macrame jewelry is made with tons of tiny knots that you sort of just hand tie. Um, And it was originally really popular in the US in like the 70s. People made like plant hangers and owls and stuff like that that were made with like thicker cord. Uh, But what I learned to do was to make uh, macrame jewelry with really thin cord and you can make bracelets and necklaces and very like intricate It kind of looks like sort of like beaded work but it's all tiny knots and i learned it when i was traveling around in south america uh, about 10 years ago
0: really cool so i wonder this might be a shot in the dark question but are there any skills that have translated over from macrame jewelry to game design that you do now
1: you know i think like patience is uh one thing and sort of Attention to detail. Um, so, no like really specific one thing, but just some general attributes of so macrame takes a while. Like, each individual piece I would work on would take between, you know, like two and 10 hours. And it's sort of a lot of people are like, oh, that's painstaking, but it's, you know, kind of meditative to me. And with game design, I feel like you're often in the revision process, you spend a lot of time just pouring over the details and going through again and again, you know, and so so just having that patience and follow through to finish a project, I think helped sort of build my, uh, my skills for game design.
0: Yeah, it's totally crazy how different people find different things relaxing and meditative, because to me, that sounds very painful. But then I tell people I like to run as a form of meditation and then other people are just like, well, that's crazy.
1: Right, right. Totally. Yeah, no, we all have, we're wired a little differently.
0: So, Tim, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit more and sharing a bit about your background and who you are?
1: Uh, Yeah, my name is Tim Eisner. I currently live in Portland, Oregon. Um, I'm from the Northwest. I was uh, born and raised in Washington State. And I've been playing board games since I was a kid. I, you know, played chess with my dad and my brother and trick-taking games, card games with my, my whole family. I've been designing board games for about seven years now. So, and I founded Weird City Games and did March of the Ants was my first game on Kickstarter. And then I've been doing more designs with Weird City Games and then also partnering with some other other publishers to uh, design games for them.
0: Awesome. And I'm excited to hear and listen or hear some things that you have to share about your design choices with some of your games before we get there, though, can you share with us a time you learned something through a game?
1: Yeah, like, so this is one of the biggest things that sort of led me to game design was when I was about 13, 12 or 13, Magic the Gathering came out, and I got pretty into that, like most of the people in my age in at that time. And through Magic, playing it a lot, it's sort of, you're able to, you know, craft your own deck and interchange cards and enter, you know... And so you're sort of doing a form of limited game design where you can shape your experience and do different combinations and cards have different, completely different rules. So playing with Magic and then reading about it and reading some of the articles by the designers of Magic, it really gave me a look into game design and sort of I didn't realize it till later after I'd started game designing but it was kind of a pivotal thing that led me towards game design and since I've been a designer I I meet people and meet other designers and I feel like there's two general categories of designers that are heavily influenced by magic and designers who didn't really play much magic and it's just interesting to see the different kinds of games they create and I think they're both awesome but uh, so that was a game that really taught me a lot growing up.
0: Awesome. Would you mind sharing a little bit about how you decided to find or found the company Weird City Games? What made you decide to go from kind of liking to design games to actually starting your own board game publishing company?
1: Yeah, well, it comes back to the macrame jewelry that we were talking about earlier. I had been making macrame jewelry and selling it in local markets, the Saturday market here in Portland and at different sort of festivals and fairs. And it was really fun, but it was also pretty draining because it takes a while to make one piece and then you'd sell it and, you know, and so it was always making things, selling them and having to make more things. Uh, so I was getting a little bit burnt out on that and I was looking for something new to do. Doing that was my first business that I had started. And so so then I was looking for a new business. I was kind of I kind of have an entrepreneurial spirit and like to do my own thing and had enjoyed running that business, but I was looking for something a little more sustainable that I could create something and then sell you know more copies of it rather than hand make each individual piece of jewelry at the same time I was living in Portland with uh, several really good friends who I played board games with and so I was spending most of my time playing board games and magic cards and so I was like well I really love board games if I you know Try and learn how to do this. Even if I don't make any money, it'll be fun and I'll have learned, you know, something new and I'm already spending a lot of my time doing it. So, so I kind of, you know, it kicked around a couple ideas of like opening up a food cart or some other things. But at that time, it, it just struck me as the right thing to do. And luckily, you know, at the same time, Kickstarter was just taking off. It was, I think, a year or two after the first board game had been on Kickstarter and it was starting to become like, oh, hey, this is something you can do. You can, you know, fund a board game. If it's successful, you can sort of start a company. And so um, with those friends of mine, we worked on designing our first game, uh, March of the Ants and uh, and got that kickstarted and it was successful and it sort of just snowballed in to you know weird city games being successful and me as a designer also getting a lot of games out there
0: really awesome and I originally reached out to you because I found canopy on I think maybe a Facebook post and then I looked on the board game geek and kind of read this description and I really enjoyed the description and saw that it probably has some scientific like terminology definitely scientific terminology maybe some representation of real nature too. And I've actually had the chance to play March Vance and really enjoy that and there's definitely some elements of nature that are practical or real in in nature in the real world that you've been able to employ in your game through different mechanics as well. What are some other games that you've designed outside of these two?
1: Yeah, so I've also designed the Grim Forest, uh, which is a sort of fairy tale game uh, where you're each one of the three little pigs or a cousin of the three little pigs, and you're in a race to build three houses. And it brings in other fairy tale characters that you can get to join you as your friends. And also in that same world, a game called Grim Masquerade, which is a very light social deduction game uh, like Werewolf, but you don't need to really do any line, it's more taken care of through the mechanics of which cards you're collecting and discarding. And in addition, I've also worked on Title Blades, which is a big uh, sort of new fantasy water world set in this awesome water world created by Mr. Cuttington, who are the artists on it. And it's a worker placement, character building sort of adventure game where you're building up a character and fighting monsters and completing challenges. And most recently, I had, I was one of the designers on Wonderland's War, which is a, was just on Kickstarter a couple months ago and is sort of set in the Alice in Wonderland world, but all the madness is leaving. And so you, you as a player, take, Charge of one of the factions of Alice or the Mad Hatter or the Red Queen, and you're battling to restore Wonderland to what you think is it should be. And that game's got some card crafting and sort of bag building or bag building, not card crafting at all. Sorry, I don't know where that came from. Uh, bag building, where you're putting chips in your bag and then you'll use those for battle and to battle. So it's a pretty fun, pretty innovative game, kind of similar to like uh, it's got some elements shared with Quacks of Quedlinburg and other games. So those are of the main ones i've designed i've you know there's a couple expansions for march of the ants as well and oh i also did aquacorn cove which is a um i was with a team of designers but it's based on a graphic novel and it is the character it's cooperative and you're a fishing village that's trying to deal with the effects of like environmental degradation and the, the reef health is going down there's pollution and you're trying to deal with that while also supporting your village and getting enough food and fish to trade for money to build up your village. Uh, so it's got some cool environmental themes as well and it's a really, really awesome graphic novel and the the game kind of puts you in the place of trying to support that village.
0: That's awesome. That sounds very informative in a, I guess, environmental sense too. I haven't had a chance to play that but I have played March of Ants and I, I was telling my wife. March Vance was the first all-in Kickstarter that I've backed because yeah, I've just recently got into like really backing games on Kickstarter maybe about a year and a half ago. So I and I back maybe one or two games every other month depending on, but yeah, we just opened up March Vance about a week and a half ago and there's there are so many expansions, so we've been able to play through like three or four of them now. So it's a lot of fun to to add different different parts of the expansion into the game.
1: Totally. Yeah, we, looking back, we went a little bit overboard with the second expansion with Minions of the Meadow. It had, I think, like four or five modules and then three or four alternative play variants and like all these things that we were really excited about and was fun you know but in retrospect it was like oh we could have done that as like two or three uh, expansions you know and so and that's part of like wanting to put everything in a game and then also you know, Kickstarter too. It's like once you're going and you want to have stretch goals and want things for people to be, you know, excited about. So, um, but I think they're all good. It just takes a while to get through everything. So, and that's where we made sort of a conscious choice with the last expansion we released is just to have it be card-based and just to have it. And then finally it could be a standalone card set. So you could just swap in the, the new cards from empires of the earth to replace the cards from the base game and so it's pretty easy to swap in and only adds one or two new things but yeah there's a lot there it's a lot to unpack but hopefully people you know if you enjoy it there's a lot of room to grow and like dig into the world
0: right yeah i, I really like it i love the the meeples too that i got from the kickstarter i'm happy i did uh back the all the meeples add-on or whatever
1: oh yeah definitely no those ant meeples that was great because that was a really fun thing because back in uh, 2014 i think they you know when we first launched people you know once the campaign was up people were like oh we want ant meeples we want but it was my first campaign running campaign i'd run and i was like i don't know how feasible this is i don't know how much it's going to cost i don't want to like you know, do an I didn't know about add-ons at that point. So I was like, can I sub these in? How much is it going to cost? And then eventually I was like, this is just, you know, I don't want to stress and mess this, do this and mess it up or put the project over budget. So I decided to hold off. And so it was really fun in the final, in in that last expansion that we were able to add those. And I think they just give, you know, that extra touch of feeling like you're ants and like being in in the game.
0: And those, the huge centipede meeples are pretty awesome. Oh yeah,
1: <laughs> definitely. Definitely. I,
0: I posted a picture on, on Instagram not too long ago and I got, I think it might have been my most liked pictures, the March of Ants. So yeah, cool. So with March of Ants and Canopy as well, I've had a chance to play March of Ants and I noticed, at least one thing I noticed for sure is the terminology used in the game. And you have like the abdomen, the thorax, the, I guess just the head but you learn these different parts of an insect body and that's something we learn growing up in school too in different biology classes i feel like maybe like middle school or before so what kind of realistic examples or other realistic examples can you find in science or of nature in march of ants or canopy
1: yeah well i'll talk about march of the ants first so with march of the ants i like to say that it's scientifically inspired or it's inspired by science you know we're obviously don't stick rigorously to all things being exact representations of what they are in the game but in the game you're evolving your ant body for listeners who, aren't, who haven't played it yet and you're able to build different heads thoraxes and abdomens which will help you help you out in different phases of the game and each of those evolutions is based on a an actual science actual ant species that exists in nature and so there's one for example the blasting head you know when we were creating the game i read the wikipedia and en- art entry for ants you know 10 or 15 times and would follow down different species and learn about them And there's one, the carpenter ants, which I think they're called formica is their family name or their genus. And they actually have formic acid in like along some of their 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 joints. And if they're being attacked or their nest is invaded, they'll actually blow themselves up and to defend their nest. And so we were like, oh, that's a really fascinating thing that happens in nature. We want to include that in the game. And so we use that as an inspiration for that card. And so we're like, oh, how can we represent that in the game? And so the blasting head, what it does is at the start of the soldier phase, you can choose one hex that's contested where you are, where there'll be a battle and you can, you can sacrifice one of your ants and then flip over a card to get a random number of other ants that you'll destroy. And so in March of the Ants, there's countless examples of that. And we put the, I can't remember right now, I'm blanking on if it's the family name or the genus of the ant that it's, that's based on in, on the card. So each ant has that sort of tie to the original species. And so that was really fun to do. And we did it, it sort of was a two way street with that. So sometimes we would often in the first game, it was like, Oh, we have, a we have all these ants we want to how do we represent these as an ability so we'd create abilities later. we once the game was a little more established, we were you know trying to balance it and add in things that were missing, and we we're like, "Oh, we have this really cool ability. Is there an ant that matches this?" And then we'd go and research, and there was you know sometimes it's a really strong connection, like the blasting head, sometimes it's a little more tenuous, but there'd be ants that you know move faster or have you know forage in greater you know range, and so we'd have those apply to ants that have better movement or things like that.
0: That's that's crazy because when I was playing the game, I knew that there was a lot of scientific or inspiration from science, but then I had thought maybe, well, this Blasting Ant, maybe they just added this flavor to make it a little bit more interesting, but now you're telling me it's based off a of, a real ant. That's super cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it was really fun. And like that was, Mount of Ants was one of the funnest games to work on because it just, I got to learn so much about ants and learn all these amazing facts and then sort of incorporate those into the game in different ways. So yeah, it's, it's really fun. There's ants, luckily as ants is a subject matter, they do all sorts of wild things. So even later when we had like, Oh, we need something that'll do this kind of thing. It was like, okay, this ant does something similar to that.
0: Super cool. So how about canopy? Cause that's something you're working on that will be coming to Kickstarter soon. What are some scientific or examples of nature in that game?
1: Yeah, so Canopy is a game that's based in the rainforest. It's a game for two players, and each player is... um, You're taking turns drafting cards that you will grow into your rainforest. And so players are growing trees and plants and attracting wildlife to their forest. And, you know, in the rainforest, there's a lot of symbiosis, and there's this also delicate balance of life. So there's no... I didn't, I wanted the game to be a little simpler than March of the Ants. It's a more approachable kind of family weight or entry level game. So I didn't have the ability to make things as sort of representational as March of the Ants. But I did really try and evoke that feel of like needing the right balance of things and, and, you know, and just that feeling of your forest growing. So... One really simple thing that when I started in the game, you can build your growing trees and you can add on multiple parts to your tree to keep it growing. And when I first started there, you had a part that was a root and a part that was a trunk and a part that was a canopy. And I used at the start, I just let players build the trees in any way they want. So they could start with a canopy and then add a trunk and then add roots and then add another trunk and like... And it was nice because it was really simple. I didn't have to put many rules on it, but it didn't really feel like trees grow in nature. You know, trees start with the roots and trunk and grow up. And so through multiple iterations, I played with a bunch of different things and eventually figured out a system where you can play a card that's a root and a trunk together. It's one card. And then you can play another root and trunk on it in the it sort of sits behind it so it just elongates the trunk and the tree will keep growing up and up until you put a canopy on it so it's kind of a basic part of nature that most people are familiar with already so it's not sort of revolutionary like March of the Ants but it has that natural growing feel which was important to me to get in the game another example is in the game there's weather cards so there's sun and rain and they score you'll score points off most of your cards if you get the right combination or sets and for sun and rain they score together. So you need one sun and one rain to score and sort of representing that the, the, you know, the healthiest forest or for a really healthy forest, you can have a good balance of sun and rain. Like most rainforests, uh, at least tropical rainforests have, you know, heavy downpours, but then the sun will come out and it's very hot as well. And that helps the rain sort of from the tree and the moistures that the trees absorb rise back up and create other rain clouds, I think. I'm not a scientist, but that's my understanding. So there's that. And then one other example that's in there that I think is pretty cool are the bromelia, which they're a tropical plant that grows um, and they're they're mutualistic. So they're not generally like parasitic. They don't leach a ton of energy off of off of trees and they're in this family there's pineapples and other sort of plants that i think people will recognize but the bromelias in the game if you get one it's worth two points if you have two it's worth seven but if you get more than two it it starts being negative points and this is they're not like you know, parasitic, like I said, they don't detract from the trees. But if you get too many of them in your forest, it starts sort of pushing out other plants and maybe overwhelming the tree a little bit. And so that's just a representation of sort of the balance of needing to get a good amount, but not too many where it's overrunning your forest.
0: Really awesome. So I wonder, I have maybe, we'll see, it might end up being a two-part question, but we'll see how it comes out. So I'm curious as far as deciding what, Because you design games as a hobby board game, right? you're designing games for entertainment. So if you have an opportunity to include a realistic example of either science or nature or kind of modifying it to make sure the game is fun, what would you normally choose? And then also, if you do end up including that realistic realism in the game, what do you think that adds to it?
1: Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. I think it... For me, I still err on the side of making the game fun and making the mechanics work. And I think that comes from not being, having a super strong scientific background. You know, I enjoy nature and the outdoors and like learning about different plants and animals, but I'm not a super, you know, I don't have a... a scientific like background or knowledge. And I also think it's really important for games to be fun, to serve their first purpose, you know? I think it's there's some games that are like, oh, this is an educational game, but it it leans too far into the educational or informational presentation and not enough into the sort of game player mechanics. And ideally I think you create a balance of both of those. So I think I, I generally will include scientific representations and it be as close to nature as possible but if i need to make some adjustments to make the mechanics work i'll generally sort of err in that direction that said i have a lot of respect for designers who are able to to make you know those scientific representations come like all the way through their games the most striking example for this that i've played is wingspan by elizabeth hargrave and she was able to Incorporate a ton of data and information and realistic things about birds and create, build a whole system around how it works that sort of captures that information. I also at uh, Gamma last week, I saw Cytosis and some other games by the same designer that are very based on science and looked really cool. So I'm excited to check those out. As for the second part of the question, um, I think when you can include realistic things in your game and things that are based on the natural world, it one, can give more impact to the game and make it more of like, oh, well, this is really based on nature. Or this is like, you know, I'm, I'm learning something and so people feel like it's a richer experience. And two, it can make people care about nature a bit more make people want to do some research or connect with the natural world in a you know in somewhere somewhere outside of the board game and for me that's really important like part of the reason I'm working on canopy is one I really you know had the idea for a game and the rainforest seemed like the right thing but I also as many people are these days i'm very concerned about climate change and loss of biodiversity and so in creating the game i wanted to you know not sort of hit people over the head with the you know the like we need to change this is you know like an emergency but make people remember and think about the rainforest and maybe if they're thinking about it and you know have some positive Associations with it, they'll be more likely to get involved to reduce, you know, their impact on climate change or, you know, support efforts to uh, save and protect the rainforest. So, so yeah, that's a long answer to that question. But feel free to follow up if there's any specific other details.
0: No, it was it was a long question. So that's all right.
1: Oh, one other thing I would add is that with Canopy, one thing I'm trying to do as well is reduce the sort of carbon footprint or you know, resource impact that the production of the game has. It's still, you know, going to be mass produced and be a game that's, you know, manufactured. But I'm trying to use some more eco-friendly materials and production techniques and try and limit the use of plastic in the game and things like that. So I'm excited to sort of have that be a, you know, educational tool in and of itself is to be like, hey, this is also done in this manner, you know, for this purpose to try, you know, I can't do it perfectly, but I can take some steps to do in that direction.
0: Right. I think that's one of the, I mean, maybe struggles of our hobby. It might be more so down the road, but I think that's a fun game design uh, challenge that you have as well. Definitely. I well, I want to echo what you said earlier, because I think it, you're spot on with designing as teachers when we use educational games It's not I mean, it's a game, but that doesn't mean it's fun. And that's what is really important when we decide our games that we use in our classroom or use for our lessons is make sure they're engaging in a fun, exciting way. And I think it's important to make sure that's there first. But as teachers, if it's for our lesson, we kind of have to make sure there's some sort of learning outcome there, too.
1: Definitely. Yeah, it's a it's a fine balance. I was also I worked as a bit as a preschool teacher when I was first getting into game design when I wasn't doing it full time. And, you know, just working with, you know, two or three year olds seeing how much they just learn through play. And it's basically, you know, like, that's how one of the ways that humans learn best is by playing games and by engaging with things in a playful way. And our brains are in a a special, you know, state where we're able to absorb more information and learn and take risks and you know and I think that's that's something now that I'm you know I've been doing game design for seven years it's something I want to push myself to do more is like push towards that educational side of game since I feel like I've got a good handle of where the mechanics are and how to create interesting fun gameplay is like okay well how do I do that and put enough educational content into the game as well so so i'm excited to sort of push myself as a designer in that direction because i think it is really important and there are they are really cool tools for for teaching and growing and expanding how people you know view the world or you know what they know about and what they're you know learning
0: awesome i'm excited to see where you go with that because i think i mean you're you're right there's games open a door for learning I, i believe that 100% to be true. So Tim, before we head into the final segment, I have one last question for you that maybe you can share some final words of advice. And this is maybe a question that I had thought of because of my experience playing March of Ant. So how can a game player, if they pick up one of your games, how can they be more conscious and pay attention to the game in order to maybe learn something as they play?
1: I mean I think with with March of the ants or with canopy, since they're sort of based in nature and science you can you can pay attention to in March of the ants you can look at the at the ants and look under their you know common name that's written there then biggest uh, font and then look at the scientific name and if you wanted to take that farther you could be like oh this blasting head seems wild and you could look up that ant uh, species the formica ants and see like oh now i can read a little bit more about it and see the connection so that one's pretty easy and then just thinking about like oh i wonder what of these things you know playing march of the ants you, or canopy be like oh what of these are inspired by nature and how does this Mimic uh, rainforest, or how? What what parts are do I think are made up, or what do I feel are, you know, true to true to nature? And that I think that's an interesting question for players to sort of ask and think about, and be like, oh, which of these seem like they're more just a mechanical or gameplay and which of these seem like they may be more based in nature. And that could be an interesting thing to think about afterward, you know, like play and then, you know, create that hypothesis and then go sort of test it out and see like, oh yeah, ants don't, this doesn't really follow ants exactly, or this is true to ants or, you know. So I think that's cool. I think with my games like Tidal Blades or Grim Forest, some ways people can connect with it. One with Game design, I think, you know, if you're coming from a game design standpoint, you can just obviously evaluate the mechanics, but I like to, you know, one thing I've learned as a designer is to just think about the player experience and think about how the different mechanics affect how I feel in the game, you know, and so in Grim Forest, it's a resource collection game, you're collecting these resources to make your houses, but it, the mechanic is you're doing simultaneous reveal. so you'll all choose secretly where you're going to go to collect resources and then you'll all reveal and so having everybody do something at once creates a different dynamic than if we all just took turns choosing where we're going and it makes the game sort of a bit snappier and faster and so so i just think thinking about the experience overall when you're playing games kind of gives you this fascinating lens into you know human interaction and structure and like how that affects us
0: i really like the the question you pose is as a player kind of thinking about like if there's a game that's inspired by different content whether it's finance science uh, health or anything kind of looking at it and deciding what of it is based on something real from that discipline and what is maybe made up to make the game more enjoyable. So I think as a learner, you're really evaluating and analyzing that content and that topic then. Awesome. So let's we're going to move into our final thumbs up, thumbs down rapid fire round. Alright, I'm gonna make a statement and you're gonna give me a thumbs up and a brief reason why you like it, or a thumbs down and a brief reason why you don't like it. Okay. So we're gonna try this one if you've played the game, Sim Ant.
1: Thumbs down uh this one sorry i'm laughing it's not gonna be that quick but everybody who plays march of the ants or not everybody but half the people say oh this reminds me of cement and i'm like yeah that's cool i've i've heard that a lot and my co-designer played cement a lot but i've i've yet to play it so i still need to uh to sort of download an emulator and check it out
0: i'd say maybe it reminds you of cement just because they're both ant games but that's yeah, about it Yeah,
1: totally all
0: right the next one tabletop rpgs
1: uh yes but no, thumbs up. I love them. I Once I started designing games, I did not have time to play tabletop RPGs, which makes me sad. So hopefully someday I'll get back into it.
0: And then the next one, because you mentioned your story with Magic the Gathering. So other games by Richard Garfield.
1: Thumbs up. King of Tokyo is a great just dice chucking fun game. Robo Rally is not my favorite game, but it was really fun and like evocative and I also played this weird like for sale or shopkeeper game that had these binders that you'd have that were like card binders and you'd be able to put cards in different levels of the binder to make your storefront anyways long story short uh i think he's a really good designer and i'm always interested in checking out what he's doing
0: i almost picked up robo rally the other day i mean by almost it was like oh this looks interesting i kind of want to play it but then i ended up we ended up getting a different game.
1: It's pretty chaotic. It's it's fun and, and wonky. One of the robots' names is Twonky. Uh, but it's, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's a great game, although I think they fixed some things in the most recent version. So, yeah. Okay. Um,
0: And the last one, so card drafting or games with a card drafting mechanic. So anyone that's not familiar with this mechanic, it's games where you take a deck of cards and you select your card and either pass them back to someone else or you add them to a tableau. But you're essentially... Picking cards from a pile. If I got that right, I hope.
1: Yes, absolutely right. Two thumbs enthusiastically up. I love card drafting. I think it's a fantastic mechanic. I originally learned it in Magic. I actually designed a game with my brother back in 2002 or something that was a card drafting game where you pass like seven cards. That was like five years before seven wonders so I wish I'd stuck with it but we ended up putting it on the shelf and canopy is a card drafting game it's got a little different way the cards are presented but it uh, uses that mechanic and I think it's really good and really engaging partly because it has that thing I was talking about with grim forest where everybody's doing something at the same time you're all choosing something at the same time to select and so you're not waiting as long on other players
0: Awesome. Yeah, I think Canopy is definitely one I'm going to be picking up because one, it's two player card drafting is one of my favorite mechanics as well.
1: So awesome. Awesome.
0: All right, right, Tim, thank you again for sharing your insights. I learned a lot and it was really cool to talk a bit about your games. If someone wanted to reach out to you, and I know Canopy is going to be on Kickstarter soon, where could they find you or where could they find Canopy or any of your other games?
1: Yeah, so uh, the one place to find me is weirdcitygames.com. On there, we have a mailing list that you can join. Uh, You can also get the information uh, to email me at info at weirdcitygames.com. I'm also on Facebook. That's my main social media. So you can search for Tim Eisner or Weird City Games has a page as well and then yeah the canopy will be on kickstarter sometime soon we'll see uh, when that goes up but feel free to get in touch i love talking about board games love talking about game design and uh, would love to hear from anybody who's interested in knowing more awesome
0: thank you very much again tim
1: yeah dustin thanks so much for having me this was really fun conversation and uh, i appreciate you having me on
0: As always, thank you for listening. Don't go anywhere. Well, actually, go somewhere. Go to our newsletter, BoardGameWithEducation.com, and sign up for our newsletter so you can stay up to date with everything going on at BoardGameWithEducation. And as always, thank you for listening. Teach better, learn more, and always, 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 always play some games.